She's Inspirational, and this is the She's Inspirational podcast. I'm your host, Julia Strayler. Today on International Women's Day, I'm going to be talking to Sarah Jane Barnett. Sarah is the author of Notes on Womanhood, which is part memoir, part feminist manifesto, part coming of middle age story. After Sarah had a hysterectomy in her 40s, a comment by her doctor that she wouldn't be less of a woman prompted her to investigate what the concept of womanhood meant to her. International Women's Day is about celebrating women's achievements, raising awareness about discrimination and taking action to drive gender parity. I feel the need to acknowledge that I am not an expert on feminism or gender, but I want to learn because ignorance can lead us to participate in systems that support inequality. This is why I am honoured to have Sarah on the show, who has done extensive research into gender and feminism in her manifesto. Welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. No, it's so, so great to have you on the show. And I think your book is one that every woman should read because you've researched gender and feminism extensively and combine this with your personal story in a way that's both relatable and educational. Some of the things you share, including your hysterectomy and your experience with ageing, are deeply personal. How difficult was this for you to share? Well, I mean, thank you for those kind words, first of all. And I'd just like to say that I don't feel like I'm an expert in gender and feminism either. That, um, you know, my, my background is in creative writing. And so it's really been a huge learning process for me although my mother you know as you'll know from reading the book uh is a very staunch feminist so I did have that upbringing in in terms of sharing it's uh well it's led to a few awkward moments with friends who not my very closest friends uh, some of them my best friend was like oh you left so much out of the book because she knows you know obviously everything about me whereas uh for people who are friends or acquaintances they um they now maybe know a lot more about me than they might uh, have wanted to know. So it's it's been yeah it's it's been interesting. I suppose I uh, I had a real purpose in sharing um, my story of having a hysterectomy and my story of um, I suppose the self punishment and uh, what I would call like self abuse of my young years and being in toxic relationship and you know beauty procedures and holding myself up to a particular standard of womanhood and my purpose really was to share that so other women could reflect on it so I think yeah there is there was definitely vulnerability in the book but also once the book goes out into the world it's not like I'm there when everybody reads it so it it sort of has this life of its own and I also think that vulnerability can be decoupled from shame, definitely experienced shame throughout my life, but I'm not ashamed of anything I've written in the book. So while it's made me vulnerable, there's no, you know, I had to process a lot of feelings when writing the book, but there's no shame in anything I've written in terms of, you know, if somebody came up on the street and talked to me about it, uh, which would be very unlikely, but, you know, if, or, or if somebody wanted to, then I I don't feel any shame around it. And I think that's it you know, really important in sharing our stories. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I loved the vulnerability that I, that you showed me in that book and that that's what made it relatable to me was that vulnerability because we all have that in some of the areas that you talk about. I'm 34 and 
I am reaching middle age. So a lot of the aging things that you discussed so so vulnerably and openly really, really resonated. Uh, have you had from people you don't know, you spoke about responses you've had from your friends. Have you had any responses from people you don't know? What kind of response have you had from them? It's been amazing. I mean, there was obviously, you know, the my first readers were people who knew me, but there has slowly over the months. So the book came out in, I think it was June last year, and I'm still getting messages, you know, not every day, but, you know, every week from people Sometimes they're people way, way in my past, um, or they're just people I don't know at all who relate to the experiences in the book. And these are also people of all genders, which I found really fascinating that uh, you know, a, a man recently messaged me and said that you know he'd been in tears in parts of the book because it was really touching and that he'd actually read it from cover to cover in one day. He just sat down and, and read it. Yeah, and I had another message last week from someone who was talking about, uh, you know, in one of the chapters I write about how in midlife we withdraw from our roles in society. Um, sort of like a, <laughs> I've just been uh, farming, might be the wrong word, assisting some monarch butterflies. Um, we've got some swan plants in the garden and that my mum bought for my son, so we've had all the caterpillars and they're all in, you know, they're all turning into um, chrysalis, chrysalises at the moment. And so it's it's that sort of, um, you know, that, it's a wonderful metaphor for the withdrawal and then the sort of transformation and reconfiguration of our lives that can happen in midlife. And yeah, someone reached out to me and said, oh, well, I, I you know, I've been having this experience, but I, I hadn't recognised it for what it was. And I hadn't recognised it in that context. And now I've read your book. That's the reason why I wrote it. I mean, I started, I mean, I started out writing it, you know, as you said, I had a hysterectomy and then that led me to really, you know, with, because my uterus was gone and that was quite a shock. And I, I started to question what, you know, if that made me less of a woman, like the doctor said, or he said, it won't make me less of a woman, but you know, what womanhood meant to me. And also um, my father being transgender she doesn't have a uterus. So that really, you know, led me down that path of considering womanhood. And I didn't really intend to write a book at the start. I, you know, I just intended to explore that idea and but that's where it ended up. And yeah, I'm really I'm really glad that readers have, you know, seen themselves in the book. It was um interesting, like my father came out, um, she came out as trans quite a long time before I had my hysterectomy and when dad came out I, it was obviously you know something that my family had to absorb and process and get used to but I didn't really reflect on my womanhood then like I had friends who had transitioned and your know, transness was something that was just in my life it was just now happening in my family and it was really the hysterectomy that did it in that comment uh, from the doctor and I think because I'd, I was moving into midlife and I could no longer maintain the, the idea of womanhood that I'd had in my 20s and 30s, which was of being a particular level of, of like acceptable beauty, of thinness, of perfection, of put-togetherness. And 
that all those things challenged me. Um, and then it was then that I started really, you know, looking and reading and researching, but also reflecting on my father's, on her experience. Yeah. And I mean, how did you feel um, being the daughter of a transgender woman changed or influenced your ideas around womanhood? And what response have you had from the transgender community? I think where, where I really came to was, you know, a part of me felt, and I've, I've written about this in the book, I felt really angry at dad for having, you know, this career as a male, you, the people listening can't see it, but I'm doing scare quotes, male academic. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, of, of benefiting from being a white man in society and, it took me quite a long time to realise, and I felt sort of s- stupid when I realised that actually my father never had the experience of being male, that what my father had, what she had, was the experience of being a closeted transgender woman for, you know, decades, and how painful that was for her. And then that really started, and, you know, uh, along with the research that I did, and just reading and just being open to these other ideas of womanhood, to see how narrowly I had defined my own womanhood. It was actually much, much bigger. It could be much bigger and broader. And that by allowing that um, expansiveness and that looseness and that diversity in what womanhood could be, that I could I could let go a little bit. And so, yeah, I think my ideas have changed a, a huge amount Um from from going through that experience and from having yeah from being the daughter of a transgender woman yeah I mean that last chapter where you speak about how that experience was for you and you were so honest about your conflicting emotions um, it really stood out to me and I I just really appreciated that you did show us the whole journey um, because it just made it more relatable it made me quite emotional actually because oh, I've I have, I've had people reach out who are the um, relatives of people who are transitioning or who have transitioned to say thank you for writing about that experience because it it can cause a lot of inner conflict. You know, it's, it is easier to be, you know, for me it was easier to be supportive of friends who were transitioning because it wasn't wrapped up in my identity at all. But when it was as personal, the person being my father then I had to yeah process a lot of grief to do with losing this idea of what of her father would be and yeah it was and you know some of that may be internalized transphobia as well you know like it's like it it, there's, it really I had to excavate a lot of assumptions and doing but in doing that that helped me also like free myself as much as you know <laughs> which is a process there's a there's a scene in the book where Nikki, uh, your father, she asks you not to call her dad anymore, um, but she's now given you permission to call her dad. But it would have been tough to be told that you could no longer call your father father. Um, how was that? Yeah, it was pretty, at the time it was like really heartbreaking. And so one part of me was like the daughter part of me was very heartbroken and the queer activist part of me really understood 
And so those, you know, I think that's really important in this process is to understand that both feelings can exist at once. That if, of course she gets to decide who she is in the world and what words can be used to refer to her. Um, and that is her right. And also I was really sad, you know, and that that has been, you know, that, that process of just being with both of them has been, I think it's been healing in, in a sense because it has brought me closer to Nikki, to dad. Um, and that I, I hope that comes through at the end of the book. Yeah, that that in going on this sort of a journey, I, yeah, I just have, a, I feel I have a much better understanding. And I feel, I think at the beginning of this chat, you said, that you didn't see yourself as an expert on gender and feminism, even though you've researched it extensively. And I think you're right, you know, no one can really be an expert on gender and feminism because it's evolving all the time and it's so complex. But I think one thing that's really great that you're doing is telling your story because without this education, people won't learn. You know, you could, you've taught me things about the structures that are in place. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, I'm 34 and I really related to, you mentioned that you were going through some beauty procedures, um, which I, which I do as well. And after reading your book, I was like, wait a minute, because I just put them in the must do basket. And then I thought, you know, it's actually not a must do. I'm choosing to be a part of this system. And now I've seen that the system's there and this is, you know, a lot of things, media and consumerism that's feeding the system. I can make the decision of whether I want to keep on with the beauty procedures or not. So I just, I was wondering how hard was it for you once you recognised that system to actually break away and make the choice of I'm not going to um, buy into this? Oh, still so hard. <laughs> it's, it is hard all the time because I'm being constantly advertised to about being a certain way. I mean, what really helped me was working out what my values were, which is um, something I, I learned to do through acceptance and commitment therapy, which is something, you know, anyone can Google and there are lots of instructions online on how to work out your values. And then say, what if one of my values is being kind to myself or compassionate with myself, then going and getting microdermabrasion on my face doesn't seem like it doesn't fit with that value, you know, because it hurts and it's um, it's not accepting of myself. It's st it, I, I still find it very hard. I've I've made some changes, like I'm letting, you know, like I'm I used to dye my hair, yeah, you know, I did it for twenty years, and now I don't, and I'm letting it go grey. And some days I I just can't stand it, and other days I'm like, yeah, no, okay. Do I want to dye my hair for the rest of my life? Like, is that where I want to put my time and my, my my limited time and my limited money? Or is this something I can let go? But I still shave my legs every day because I like it. You know, like it's a... And, and I know that it is a... Um, that doing that was something as a habit of patriarchy, you know, and it's, it's representing a particular type of womanhood. But it is more a it comes from a place of self-expression and and I think that is that is where I come to is I, I go who am I doing this for you know am I doing it because I want to feel safe am I doing it because I don't want to feel judged or am I doing it for myself so people who you know dye their hair and they love it and it's part of expressing themselves great 
Um, but that wasn't why I was doing it. I was doing it because I had grey hair <laughs> and I didn't want and I didn't want to age. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like recently I've um, I'm 45 and I, there are lines, newly appearing lines on my face that, you know, every every year and I could go and get something done about those. I could get, I don't know, what whatever procedures done. But where I think, where does that stop? And then, you know, when I'm 80, I'm going to be lined all over. And how am I going to feel about myself there? And how am I judging myself in this moment? So, yeah, I suppose it comes down to, am I trying to fix myself or am I trying to express myself? And obviously, any any decision is made within the system. You know, there are... One of, the, one of the many problems with capitalism is that as soon as something like, say, body positivity or um, age positivity comes up, it gets commodified and commercialized. And then certain types of expressions of aging, like there is actually quite a trend at the moment for women to have gray hair and younger women are dyeing their hair gray. And then there's a there's this sort of there's this trap of getting you think, oh, actually, I'm I'm expressing myself by letting my hair grow out gray, but I I'm actually still within the boundaries of beauty. And so for me, um, looking at those nuances, I, I find fascinating. But it's just a, I'm constantly in, in progress with this. Like it's, you know, every day I have to, I have to work with myself, work with my values and, and yeah, be kind. And I mean, yeah, it definitely stood out to me because just recently I, um, don't judge, <laughs> just recently I got a, a nose job because I hated my nose. And as I was lying there and I was like, had the splints and everything, I was like, why on earth would I do this to myself? Why would I put myself through breaking my own face just to feel beautiful? And so I started thinking about beauty and I was like, whose fault is it? Is it, you know, the Victoria's Secret models? Is it Disney? And I was trying to blame Disney. But then I listened to this book, The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell, and he, he documents um, myths myths and legends from all over the world and they all like put this emphasis on the the beautiful person gets out of trouble their beauty saves them their beauty this and I was like it's so deeply ingrained in us how can I overcome this you know it's so difficult because beauty is an attitude (laughs) you know um and that's how I want to live my life and I I'm like a voice for female empowerment and all of this stuff and I'm doing this stuff to myself so I felt like a massive hypocrite (laughs) but but those are, as you know, like I, I said before, these are the contradic- contradictory things living inside us. Is that you can that we, we don't, and I think this is an, a lie we've been told is that we have to be just one thing. And I, you know, you can be the person who wants a nose job, at which I would never judge. I'd never judge anyone for getting anything done because we all work where we are, you know, at our own point of within our own psychology. And you can be that person and you can be an advocate for women and at, at the same time and recognise it and still do it. And the on, on beauty, uh, Natalie Wynne, who also goes by the name ContraPoints, who I think I, I reference her a few times in, the, in my book, has a fantastic YouTube, um, it's almost like a lecture. I mean, it's like a, she's an incredible educator and it's called Beauty. And she does a whole series on gender and, and all sorts of um, di- you know, different social topics. Uh, but be- the, the beauty one is very good. I recommend it for everyone. <laughs> okay, we'll have to give it a listen because, yeah, and I think that's that was the main takeaway from your podcast is it's 
it's a choice. So like I understand the systems in place. I've, it's been ingrained in me since I was a child from watching Disney and what I see in the media and how am I going to choose to respond to that? So yeah, <laughs> that's what your book gave me. It gave me that awareness. So you mentioned that your mum was a feminist and I wanted to touch on that because my mum was also an ardent feminist. They might have been slightly different of ages, but they, they would have come into their feminism in a different era than what we're going through now. And so um, when you came of age in the 90s, that was considered or considered by some people as being the catalyst for the third wave of feminism. And that's when shows like Sex and the City were considered groundbreaking, which is it's now being called out as problematic now. And I watched it again recently and I, I, I agreed with that. And so I was just wondering, like, International Women's Day is about celebrating our successes and how far do you see that we've come? Like, what should we be celebrating today in comparison to the 90s and your mum, your mother's feminism views? Yeah, I watched Sex in the City as well. I mean, I think we've come a, a massive, you know, amount in, in quite a short space of time and there's so many things to celebrate. Um like, you know, like there was, even if we think about just last year, the change to abortion laws in New Zealand, you know, that was massive in terms of women's rights. I think the the sort of more mainstreaming of intersectional feminism, which I don't know if that's that's probably fourth wave. I think we might even be into a fifth wave at the moment. It's a, <laughs> um, I was looking online and it, there's no agreement, of course. Um, <laughs> My sister says we're in the fifth wave and she's, you know, she's quite, she's very feminist. I had to get her to check all my, I got her to check all my questions to make sure they're good. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I think that's, I mean, for me, what makes me um, want to celebrate and feel so hopeful is younger people. You know, my son, he's nearly 12. And so, I mean, I'm interacting with a lot of kids around that age and their views on gender, on sexuality are just completely different, you know, incredibly diverse, um, incredibly accepting. And it might be just my little, you know, Wellington echo chamber. I mean, that is that is possible. But I I just feel like the, the world is a very different place to the one I grew up in. Um, you know, because I was a, a teenager in the in the nineties, the girl power era. Um and I think I think one of the things really to celebrate is and, and definitely as a key aspect of feminism at the moment is the availability of like information online. I mean, social media has a lot of problems, obviously, um, <laughs> addictive problems, but it, it it's also makes, it's very democratic. Uh, there are some, you know, incredible uh, content creators to do with feminism and, uh, you know, like trans activism and, and you can find them on Instagram and you can follow them and, you know, be educated. Like um, one that I follow who they just do amazing work is Alok um, Vaid Menon, who they have written a book and they're a poet and they're just an amazing educator on kind of gender issues and um, race. And yeah, and it's all it's all out there and really accessible to anyone who has you know a device. And I think that's something to celebrate whereas when I you know when I was a kid <laughs> it was there was only three channels on tv and uh you know really no internet so yeah it's a it's a different it's a really different world and I think you know with the movements like uh me too and black lives matter 
and you know that's it's I I think I hope making global change. I also feel um, you know apart from the the like social movements, I just feel that we should celebrate the um, like the strength and resilience of women in general. Like it, it it feels to me. I mean, the women in my life they just never stop fighting, and you know never you know they they are doing their lives, but that they're also in their, in these small ways working for women's rights, and I think that's. You know, that's really beautiful. That's where all the movements have come from, you know, as, as people like that. I love that. Um, it's so true. Um, so with, with that, Women, International Women's Day is also about raising awareness. And I know this, we've still got a long way to go in regards to female empowerment. And was there, is there any particular issues that you think we should talk about today and raise awareness around? There are so many different issues, depending on what, t- what group you belong to and I think that's one of the real benefits of intersectional feminism is that it doesn't it doesn't narrow down to this is you know the the single thing that we should be focusing on but it you know it says look at the different threads of discrimination that can layer upon each other depending on gender and race and class and ability and and all those things so so yeah different groups will have different focuses uh, for me personally, obviously, just having written a book about um, womanhood and midlife, I, I mean, for me, I'm trying to, I suppose, I'm trying to raise awareness for women that midlife can be a time of really positive change, that it can be a time when we become more ourselves, that that we can let go of gender norms that maybe have been holding us back, and and that having time, like taking time away for self reflection, is really important like there's a lot of tramping in the book I go tramping all over the place um (laughs) and uh and that that is you know that that has has been a ritual that I've you know kind of added into my life to to give me that time away so I can be in my body and think about you know what I need as a woman at this this point well we're lucky to live in New Zealand aren't we because there's lots of beautiful walks that you can go on oh so lucky (laughs) yeah and um, lots of health benefits of tramping. Um, it can help you overcome PTSD and those kind of things that as a woman we might suffer because of some of the things we've experienced. You mentioned there were some things that you didn't cover in the book. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about that you would like to talk about that's not in the book? Or Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, lot of stuff I didn't cover in the book. No, I, yeah, it was, I mean, um, I really wanted the book to be focused on this, I mean, it does have a have a sort of narrative arc to it. You know, the last chapter is about the the death of my grandmother and getting closer to my own mortality, which is, I think, something that really happens. You know, <laughs> in in your forties. So yeah, I, I I just turned forty five, and then I think, oh, the next big birthday is fifty, and I'm like, oh, and then I'm basically dead. You know, so <laughs> which is a bit, which is not true. You know, there's a, I could I could be living, you know, another half a life again. But <laughs> do you think that fame? Just as a woman, just as a curious question just came to mind then, because my partner is forty. I think he's forty four this year. Or yes, and he never ever questions his age or his mortality, and he is a very confident man. But do you think it it is? 
because of the media and everything like that, putting such an emphasis on females aging, do you think that causes us to think about it or question it a bit more? Um, yeah, I d- definitely, definitely. Uh, because there's so much value placed on how a woman looks, we and also on our reproductive ability as we lose those two um, aspects, you know, going through menopause and um, and that that changes. That's a change that someone male won't go through. It does really get to our identity, and f- for me, I have I have learned how much importance I had put on the value of beauty. Even though, and this is something I wrote, you know, wrote about in the book, was that I I was having that experience of being a feminist, but also at the same time, sort of sneakily behind my own back, valuing beauty, and and then I had to I've had to really try and bring those two into line to and and to do that uh, I've had to start to value myself in other ways. So I value you know how how good a friend I am. I value the functionality of my body rather than how it looks. I value the comfort my body can bring to my child and the way I can communicate with people and, you know, if someone's sad, I can uh, support them. So so finding finding those values, um, you know, value myself as a teacher and an artist and and starting to shift towards that. And that, that shift is not only then um, in my head, it actually comes through the action. So that's, so when I'm, uh, so if I kept on dyeing my hair, that value is that that action because I was doing it for someone else, not for me, then tells me it continues to tell me that I value looking a certain way. But if I stop doing that action and start doing actions in other places, then I learn, oh, actually, this is where my values are. So it's a real actions based process for me to change my beliefs so it goes actions change beliefs rather than beliefs change actions actually I think that's really helpful for people listening if you do start to find yourself feeling sad or wound up in the way you look to try and think of other positives outside of the way you look I like that so like I am a great artist or a um, writer or a great mother and just think about those positive things rather than focusing on the superficial elements of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And and also on the elements that you can't control. That that I, I think there is because that's what that's what the beauty industry is offering is control. <laughs> and trying to control what is ultimately an uncontrollable process towards old age. I mean, you can only control it for so long, but then what happens when, you know, like we're all going to be old at some point. And I suppose for me, I don't want to spend the next 30 years or 40 years trying to control that. I'd rather be more gentle around it. And I think it's finding that gentleness with myself. I mean, I mean, I still use anti-aging skincare. I love skincare, you know. I still... You know, I've got makeup on today while we're talking and I still put it on every day. And even if I wasn't going out, I'd put it on. So I'm not some, <laughs> so I haven't like stepped out of, you know, uh, 
of all beauty routines, but these are ones that um, I find lift me up rather than make me, uh, yeah, expression rather than fixing, which I, I think is really helpful. And you're right, because we are, we are all in it together as females. We're all suffering the same pressure from consumerism and the media, and we're all we're all aging <laughs> whatever we do and I found myself the day when I was there was one of the chapters in your book where you mentioned about kind of looking at your stomach in the mirror or looking at yourself I I had done that that very day I've been sitting in the mirror pinching my stomach and it actually was it was it was nice for me to read even though it's horrible that we're both doing that but it was nice to me to read that I wasn't alone that we're all going through this as women and it's it's okay <laughs> yes yeah it is it is okay, and it's okay to do it, and it's okay to have the feelings and the the sadness. It's not you know these these were given to us. They were they're not ours. They're given to us by capitalism, by society, by you know all, all these factors. And then we get to choose what we want to do with them. And I still do that. You know, I'm still in the sh- <laughs> I'm still in the shower, shaving my legs, and noticing the way my you know kind of perimenopausal body is you know rolling in different ways than it used to and and maybe one thought I will have is this is horrible I wish I could do something about this I'm gonna stop eating you know chocolate or whatever and then that thought can just be there and then I can be like nice tummy you know (laughs) like yeah and just and just roll roll with my rolls <laughs> I mean I I actually finished your book on the treadmill so but <laughs> uh, it's about being healthy though as well so it's like I think it's about just being healthy and accepting that you know there are things we can't change and as long as we're living a healthy lifestyle we're allowed chocolate every now and then and just be easier on ourselves <laughs> I mean I would I would argue that it's also okay to not be healthy that that with body autonomy that people if they don't want to be healthy, that is also still still their body. <laughs> and you know, I'm a I'm a runner. I'm doing this weekend. I'm doing my first half marathon in about 15 years. There was a time when I used to punish myself with running, and I would I would have a schedule that I would stick to religiously. And I would, even if I'd had the longest work day, I would still go out 10 o'clock at night and do whatever run I was meant to do. But now I just run for the joy of it and the joy of movement. And I'm you know, it's also Yes, it's a way to um, keep keep myself strong. You know, I uh, my mum, uh, she's in her seventies, and about five years ago she started doing Pilates, and it has increased her strength and range of movement so much. And she said to me, she said, "Oh, well, you've you know you've been doing you you do all this now, and and I I didn't. I wish I I wish I'd started earlier. But see, you can start in your seventies." but you know, so it is for me. I feel like I'm I'm trying to plan for the old woman I'm, I hope to be. Um, uh, so, at the beginning of the book, you've mentioned that your exploration into womanhood is unique to you, and rightly so because we've all got our own unique, complex, layered womanhood. Um, if we've got any women out there who are listening and they'd like to explore their own, uh, would you have any advice on where to start? Uh, well, I mean, I think I think my publisher would have a uh, uh, <laughs> a word with me if I didn't plug my book here um but yeah I I think my book would could be one place to start um it's at bookstores and also libraries and it has a lot of resources in it so the I feel like the bibliography is a really great 
jumping off point. And something I did in choosing all my sources was to make sure that they were, it was information that was freely available, either in libraries or online, or very easily available. Um, so anyone could read on. Sitting down and working out your values is a really um, important place to start because that is the compass for your life. So like what your core values are, and then from that, you can look at you know, the, the different things that you're doing in your life and think, does this fit with my values? Does this fit with the, the person I want to be? Um, I also think that like reading books by women and or watching TV series about women, but all sorts of different types of women, trans women, women of different ethnicities and backgrounds and class and abilities and, you know, um, uh, sexual orientation and just, you know, like consuming those stories of different types of womanhood can be really helpful in sort of loosening the gender norms that we've all internalized about womanhood because um, they, they can be quite specific to different you know groups and so then seeing other people and and going oh okay they you know <laughs> they don't feel the need to do that it's not like th these like these uh these norms are not universal womanhood is not one thing and so I think getting all that information in there and then also yeah taking I think taking time out to reflect with other women is really so that's why going tramping with a group of women or um yeah I'm, so I'm going away this weekend to run this half mar marathon with two other women we're all in our 40s and one of my friends is doing the 50k which is a like slightly on the edge of madness um so yeah it's so so this you know we're two days away from our kids and our families we're going to be out in nature um up in Rotorua running through the the bush and and I'm sure that will be you know an environment where that that I will use to reflect and think and talk and you know have discussions so yeah that would that that would be my advice and also just to be really kind with yourself <laughs> as you go through the process um and to not judge you know not not judge yourself for whatever's whatever's happening and whatever comes up well, I think that's a great note to finish on. And thank you so much, Sarah, for coming and chatting to me on International Women's Day. And as I said earlier, I really do believe that Sarah's book is a book that everyone should read. I actually got it on Kindle, so you can get it on Kindle too, as well as in the bookstore. And um, it's been published by a New Zealand publisher too, uh, Targa University Press, which is pretty cool. Um, but I'm so glad that I got to read this book because of, as we've talked about in this podcast it enabled me to look at society and the systems in a different way and it, it's given me empowerment actually to make those choices from a more educated position and it's inspired me to educate myself more so because I, I realized that there were systems unconscious bias or stereotypes that I could buy into from not being educated so I think it's a book every woman should read and thank you thank you so much